0: He speaks to us and, and that's what we do as we come before the word we are coming before God and we need his grace uh, because that's a miracle that he would speak to us and that he would use someone like me or someone like uh, our other preachers and teachers to speak to us but he does that and and we are grateful for it um, but let's ask him to come and be with us let's ask him to, to Do this miracle that he does Sunday after Sunday to speak to us through his living word. Lord, we thank you for your word and your presence with us. We ask you to come and be with us now and speak to us. Lord, it is so wonderful to be in your presence, and in your presence there is joy and love. There's also conviction and repentance and new life. And Lord, we seek you in your presence, and, and really only because you have first sought us and won us to yourself, and so this prayer comes by your grace even. But we ask, Lord, speak to us, speak through your word, and change our lives. Draw us to yourself, equip, and use us to make you known to others as well. We thank you, Lord, for your living word. We look forward to you speaking to us, and Lord, I ask you to help me serve you and your precious people. Lord, I, I want to do this, so help me. Be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and this is part of our ongoing series, The Gospel for Real Life. And what I'm going to do this Sunday and, and uh, next Sunday, actually, is talk about the gospel and family. I didn't plan on it being two Sundays until this morning, um, like Dawned over Marblehead and I realized that the amount of material I had uh, would would be for two weeks. There was no way to give justice to this fantastic uh, passage, these four verses. So today we'll talk about part one next week, part two with parents. And this issue of the family is so important. It's always important. Really one of the most important things in society and certainly in the family of God, which is comprised of families and beyond families as well singles and and so forth but we all come from families it's such an important issue and in our culture today there's so much confusion about what a family is what a family is supposed to be Uh, currently about two-thirds of our population are um, are positive or comfortable with very non-traditional views of family whatever they might be non-traditional The view of family would be a a dad and a mom with children, the typical traditional family, and and maybe all that comes with that. So two-thirds of our population, when when ideas of alternative families and and really the whole gamut of what that could be is put before them, two-thirds of our population will say, well, I'm fine with that. We are in a confused culture in many ways. Shows like Modern Family, if you've watched Modern Family, uh, I think, demonstrate that. The, this show, this TV show, uh, though funny and, and in some ways in terms of uh, how you do production and all that, is well done, but this show uh, presents some very uh, alternative views of family, and it regularly gets very high ratings, some of the highest ratings on television. And it's for the confirmation of this reality, uh, of this changing view of family in our culture. So... So something like this can be very unsettling to those who hold to a traditional view. For others who maybe think there's problems with the traditional view, and, and yes, there are problems with a traditional view, it can feel exhilarating. Wow, this is wonderful. But what are we supposed to do as God's people? What do we do in a culture that, where the ground is shifting on families? What can we do? Well, we can go to God's Word He's given us his word to to speak to us. And his word rises above tradition and confusion and proclaims truth to our souls. And so I want to appeal to all of us to listen to his word today. Because maybe your preference is for a traditional family and God wants to adjust what that is. Or maybe you are wondering about these alternatives and even comfortable with them and God wants to adjust that. And and there's lots of things I could say about the family. There's just no way in even two messages. It would take 10 or 20 messages to talk about everything the Scripture says about the family. But what I want to do is hone in through Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, on some key aspects of the family. In particular, what I want to focus on, I think you'll see as we go through this, is this key point in all this that the gospel radically reshapes families. The gospel radically reshapes families. Let's read God's word and learn about this truth. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Paul has been instructing the Ephesians about the gospel in the first two or so chapters, actually beyond that as well. But then is taking time to talk about the implications of the good news of Jesus Christ, what it means for the church, how how the Lord works out the implications of that good news. And then in these latter chapters, starting in chapter 4 and moving on, he's, he's talking about actions and behavior and attitudes that flow from this. And in this section... Uh, is right in the middle of of a section where he's talking about some very practical ways for the Gospel to work itself out. And so he says here in this section, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God's Word, Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. Four short verses that actually say a lot In these four verses, there are three main calls that I want to talk about. There are three calls. There's the call of the gospel. It's in these four verses. I'm going to point that out. It's in this whole book of Ephesians, uh, this whole letter. It's in the whole scriptures as well. There's the call of the gospel. I want to talk about the call of the gospel. Secondly, in this section, there is the call of children, the call to children. That's what we'll talk about this week. And then thirdly, there is the call to parents. The call to parents. So those three things, the call of the Gospel, the call of children, the call to parents. So first, the call of the Gospel. Before we get to any of these commands or calls, the call of children, the call of parents, before any of these calls in Ephesians, there's an important call to understand. There's the call of the Gospel. You see, but despite popular opinion... God never comes to us first and foremost demanding behavior and action. Contrary to popular opinion, contrary to maybe what you even think today, God does not come to us first and foremost demanding behavior and action. That's not how God acts. That's not the God of the Bible. He always comes first as the giver. First as the one who acts in grace, in graciousness. Before there's any call to any action or belief, God comes as a giver, as the gracious one. And, and we see that throughout Scripture. We see it right in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Before he says, don't eat of the, the tree of the forbidden fruit, don't eat of the apple as we understand it. Before he says that, he, he creates this incredible paradise garden for them to live in. And he blesses them with everything they need. He blesses Adam with his companion His wife, Eve. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply and gives them every reason for their success. They can enjoy all these trees and all these things. They enjoy the presence of God. They have everything. And then God says simply, don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of this tree. One thing. Before there's any call for action, there's God graciously giving. We see later on with the Israelites the same thing. Before God gives the Ten Commandments, what does He do? He delivers them from slavery in Egypt. And He does it, he does it miraculously and powerfully. He delivers them from their oppressors. He shows Himself strong and gracious and they leave Egypt free and full of the riches of Egypt. And they go into go into the desert, and He feeds them, and He satisfies them. And then in that context, He says, I am the the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before you. And goes on to the Ten Commandments. That's how God acts. And most of all, uh, the, the pinnacle of this approach to His creation, God sends His very Son for us. Gives His very Son. His Son comes and does what none of us could do. His Son comes as the only One who could obey all those right calls, all those right behaviors and actions and attitudes, and He fulfills them all for us. And then takes that righteous life of obedience that's worthy of reward and offers it up in your place on the cross. He takes your sin upon Himself and gives to you His righteousness to be received by Doing something to be received by faith. You don't do anything in faith but say, I receive. I stop receiving these other things. I stop turning and relying on sin. I rely on you. I receive. And then from that flows a new life. That that is the pattern of the Scriptures. That is the pattern of Ephesians. And that's why we're doing this series on Gospel for Real Life. Because we need to understand this. We need to get this truth that the grace of God, the, the wonder of the gospel first changes our lives. God acts first as the gracious giver and provides for our forgiveness and life. And then from that new life and all the things we have in him. And the forgiveness for us when we fail, he says, now live this way. Does that make sense? That's so important. That's so important. And, and I am surprised day after day. And how quickly I forget that truth. How quickly I think it's what I do that matters. That God comes to me first as the one who says I must do this and do that. There's behavior I demand of you. I I again and again fail to see God as He is, as the gracious God. He's never intended that I or you would ever see Him otherwise as a gracious God. Yes, He's a holy God. He's perfectly holy. And yes, sin matters. Attitudes and behavior matters a lot. But He comes to us first graciously as the provider. And in Christ, He comes to provide for us in every way. And I'm surprised how I forget that. And I'm surprised how day after day as a pastor, I deal with people who forget that. And I deal with a church that forgets that. I don't mean to scold you. I just am telling you the truth. Because I do it too. And we need to remember this key truth. Before we talk about the behaviors, before I talk about the call of children, I'm going to talk about it, and we're going to dig into it, and we're going to feel the weight of that call on children. There's a, it's a heavy call. It's an extraordinary call. We're going to feel the weight of the call on parents. It's a, it's a heavy call. It's an extraordinary call. But before we get there, we need to get the call of the gospel. We need to understand it's by grace he has provided for us in every way so that we approach these calls and these commands so differently because of grace. We have nothing to lose in giving ourselves entirely to pursuing holiness because we, our forgiveness has been fully provided for. All our failures in, in seeking to obey is provided for in Christ. The power is given to us in the life of Christ in us and through us. So it changes how we live and how we approach. And, and if you come at the Scriptures first about behavior and action and not the Gospel, you don't ground yourself in the Gospel, you will fail and you'll do worse than fail. You will propagate a lie of self-righteousness to others that will harm the Gospel. And it will tear you up and twist your life. We need to get this. The call of the Gospel. Now, you may say, well, where do you see that, Paul? I don't doesn't say gospel anywhere in Ephesians 6, 1-4. through 4, where, where do you see that? Well, certainly the context of the letter. And I'll get to that. But, but in, this, in these statements, Paul calls children to obey parents. Do we have the verse up there? Good. Obey parents how? In the Lord. Obey your parents how? In the Lord. And then he calls parents to raise their children how? The discipline instruction of the Lord. Now this is a phrase of the Lord, in the Lord, that Paul uses throughout his letters. He likes this idea of, of the in the Lord. And it means, it means basically in relationship with the Lord, in relationship to the Lord. And he uses it, you can do a search, he uses it over and over again, slight variants here and there. But it means in relationship to the Lord. It means uh, related to the Lord. It means in light of who Jesus is and what He's done. And the Lord here uh, doesn't mean the Father. It means Jesus. In Jesus. You are to obey in Jesus. You are to raise your children, parents, in the Lord. It's in Him. It's in His truth. It's dependent on Him. On what He's done. It's finding your strength in Him and His death and resurrection and His power in you. It's only in the Lord. Also, you can look at the the whole letter of Ephesians, and see that strengthened as well throughout. Paul, in this section, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can you can look back and earlier on chapter four, verses seventeen to twenty-four. I think we have this to project, verses seventeen to twenty-four. This is where Paul begins to talk to them about their behavior that flows from the gospel, and what he says to them as he starts, he says in verse seventeen, "Now I te- now this I say and testify in the Lord." Talking to Christians that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And he goes on to describe how they live. And then he says this, that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The reality for the believer is when you you come to the Lord, you are radically changed. You are a new creation. The Holy Spirit is in you. And through faith in Christ, you've been so united to Him that you actually have died with Him. You have died with Him. Your sinful self, your old self, your old way of looking, the old creation is dead in Christ. And now you are a new creation in Him. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Yes, there's still sin hanging on, but you are fundamentally different. And this is who you are. The old has gone. The new has come. And so learn to live in line with who you are. That's what Paul's saying. It's not because of what you have done. It's because of what Christ has done. And, and that was what is so wonderful about baptism. We got to baptize 11 folks uh, yesterday. And, and baptism is a poignant symbol. A poignant sign of that reality that we're joined to Christ. We go into the water. We come out. We've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We're new creations. And it's saying to ourselves and Before the Lord and before others, this is who I am. I have put off the old and I've put on the new. I'm a new creation. And this is what I'm called to. And that's where Paul goes when he wants to call God's people to holiness. Because of what Christ has done. Because you are united to Christ. Now you can live this new life. And and in this section of Scripture, he goes on and, and teases out the implications because there's so much attached to what Christ has done, and what it means for you in living new life. And he goes into this section and he talks about it as he goes on, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Living this new life, being filled with the Spirit and, and doing all sorts of, of amazing things because you have this new life and the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, now dwells in you. This new life, you're, you do all these things like you sing and you give thanks. And you Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's, that's what he does in this section. He says, the Holy Spirit works in you. This new life works in you. And now you live this new way and you give thanks and you praise and you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Paul doesn't mean that we all mutually submit in a totally flat way. Because what he does is he goes on in this section to say it's according to appropriate roles. So, it's, so a wife submits to a husband. A husband submits doesn't return that by domineering, but lays his life down for his wife. A child is to submit to his or her parents. The parents don't take advantage of that submission, but do not provoke, but nourish and love them and raise them up in the Lord. He goes on to slaves and masters, a, a reality of the time, and analogous to, to servants and to uh, bosses and employees, as Jeff talked about. And there's submission to the boss. But the boss is to treat the person under them kindly and respectfully. So, this section of Scripture falls in this this whole flow of working out the truth of the gospel and relying on the new life in Christ and who you are and the power of the Holy Spirit. Does does that make sense? That's so important to understand as we tackle this call, this extraordinary call. The call to do these things is, is truly extraordinary, and we need strength, we need miraculous power. We need Jesus for this. And as I thought about uh, analogies. I thought of, of, uh, of energy drinks. Um, does anyone here ever drink an energy drink? Yeah, all the young people. Yeah? Um, and, and what energy drinks do. And, and actually, I wasn't thinking about the ones with caffeine. I know what those do. Um, I've observed it myself and so forth. But there's other types. There's like protein drinks. And, and when I want to do a workout, I, we have this... Uh, this mix at home, this powdered mix, it's protein and other stuff that's good for workouts. And, and I'll, I'll pour it in a cup. I'll put a couple scoops in the cup, and I'll add sometimes like honey or molasses and mix it up together. And it may sound gross, but it actually tastes pretty good. And I'll drink that like an hour before I work out. And it makes a huge difference. When I go to work out without that, um, Maybe it's just because I'm getting older. I'm like 90-pound weakling. I'm anemic. I'm just like, I don't want to do this. But if I have my drink ahead of time, uh, an hour ahead of time, I go into that workout with energy and, it, and it's a good workout. Well, life is a workout. The obedience God calls us to is a workout. And we have no hope of accomplishing the things that He's given us without the energy, without the life of the gospel and the power of the Spirit in us and that new identity in us. And so we must learn to, to drink We must learn to drink of the Gospel and drink of the power of the Spirit and rely on His filling to do the things He calls us to do. So, children, I'm going to talk to you in a minute, and we're we're all children, aren't we? We all have parents. Paul is particularly talking to children who are underage. Children, you need an energy drink to do what you're called to do. You need power. It's extraordinary what you're called to do. You need the power of the Gospel. So we need to understand the call of the gospel before there's any call to anything else. Let's talk about the call of children. He, is say, he says here, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents. Obey your parents that is an extraordinary call because you're called to obey your parents obedience means you do what they say obedience means not only that you do what they say but you do it wholeheartedly you do it eagerly it means even more that you more than that, that you do what they say but you anticipate what they want you seek to please them You know your parents well enough and you learn, are to learn what pleases them and do it ahead of time before they ask. That's what obedience means. Scriptural obedience is not the bare minimum. Only do what you're asking, no more, right? When Jesus wants to talk about uh, what the law of God means... Uh, when he does in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes in and says it, it means more than just the bare minimum. It means more than just going through the motions. It means more than the letter of the law. It means heart obedience. It means full obedience. So children, you are called to obey your parents. It's not to, get, to, to just get by with the bare minimum to keep yourself from getting in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Anyone here ever do that? Is there anyone here who has not done that? You don't need to raise your hand. There, there's just no way. I, I, we, we do that. That's where we go. You asked me to do this. I'm just going to do the bare minimum. And, um, I, I've, I've seen it. I've been asked to do things as an adult even. Uh, I can think of being asked, how about this one? Can you clean the dishes up in the counter? A, a kid gets asked to do that. Uh, a dad gets asked to do that. And the counter's a mess. And there's stuff all over it. And, and there's extra things. There's food that needs to be put away. It's just a whole mess. And, and what you do, Literally, you take the dishes that are on the counter and you put them away and you leave the rest of the mess because I wasn't asked to do anything else. I was asked to put the dishes away. That's all I did, right? Anyone ever do that? Anyone ever be asked to do that and do it that way? That's the sort of obedience that we think is okay. That's not what this is asking. This is heartfelt, full obedience that doesn't say what do I have to do but comes out it this way, what do I get to do? How can I bless my parents? How can I serve them? How can I make life easier for them? How can I honor them? That's the obedience that, that Paul is calling children for. And by the way, guys, if your kids are in children's ministry and you're thinking, oh, I wish they were here. I wish they were here. Uh, get a copy and listen to it with them. And I would encourage you to do that, by the way, if if, to even today. Let's listen to this together. Let's talk about it. Because I want to serve your children. I want to serve them first, actually. So please don't use it as a way to serve yourself. Um, I would just like to have easy children because it makes my life easier. But the way to serve them because that's what Paul is doing here. He's going after serving the children. It calls the children to obedience in this way. And let me ask you kids, does this characterize your attitude with mom and dad right now? Are you so eager, can't wait to get home to help your folks out or to obey them or honor them in some way? I think the reality is, is that we fall short. We all fall short. And yet Paul in in this command here does not leave it as a bare command, children obey your parents. There are reasons he gives for this obedience. He gives three reasons here I want to talk about. First, he says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now it says, in the Lord, and I've talked about that. That's actually the first and foremost reason. In the Lord. It's in the power of the Lord. In the context of the, the Gospel. In what Christ has done for you. He obeyed the Father, and He laid His life down for you. That you could be forgiven, and you could know new life in Him. It's in the Lord. That's where the, the power is. But Paul also says it is right, and then he gives a command and a promise. These are reasons why children are to obey, why children can obey. First, it is right. This is right. Paul here is just saying it, it's, it's just right. It's obvious that they're to obey. It's, we all by nature understand that honoring our parents is appropriate and that underage children need to obey. It's really a key foundation to all relationships, the obedience of children to their parents. It's foundational to family and society. And it's just self evident that obedience to parents is correct. Now, obedience, by the way, to qualify it, is to do what they say in all things except those things that are sinful or harmful. That's obedience. It's to do it wholeheartedly. It's to anticipate it ahead of time. But it's to be done because it's right. And without this sort of obedience, uh, could we expect children and and adults to be raised in a way where they would submit to any authority? If they can't learn to obey their parents, how will we expect them to obey anybody? And if we don't have this as a part of our regular family life and society, um, we're just gonna raise sociopaths guys they're gonna be raised and they're, they're just not gonna know how to submit and they're not gonna care and they're gonna do what pleases themselves only that's dangerous so any idea of of kids independently determining what's right and wrong apart from their parents is, is ludicrous Paul doesn't even go into explanation he just says simply it's right he leaves it there because it's obvious that's the first reason after in the Lord But he goes on, he has a promise, has a command and a promise as well. Look what he says, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And it's the first one with a promise, it's the first one that has an explicit promise. Promise. There is an implicit promise in all the commands, but it's the first one with an explicit promise, where it, it said, "said that the result would be that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land." That's from Deuteronomy 5, Exodus 20. It's interesting that this is the first command in the list of the commandments that addresses how to relate to other people. The first four are primarily about relating to God. Then the fifth one is the first one. On relating to people, and it goes on from there, from honoring your father and mother, to talk about things like do not murder, do not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, and do not lie, do not covet. Isn't that interesting? Before you would think it would say do not murder first thing off the bat, right? It doesn't. The first one off the bat is honor your father and mother. Why? Why would? Why would in God's mind why would that come before the others? Why? Well, I don't know all the reasons. One, it tells me by the order that this is important. It's actually more important than the others. Not more important that, that honoring your parents in a given instance is better. Is, uh, you do that, you know, and murder isn't as important, right? I mean, that's not the point. It's the progression of these commands. In other words, in, in the influence in, in, in how these things progress, honoring your father and mother f- uh, go first before do not murder. In, in other words, if you get the fifth command down... If you understand and obey it fully, in some ways the other commands may not be necessary. If you learn to honor your father and mother, if you live this lifestyle of living under their counsel and honoring them, and and as younger children obeying them, in some ways the other commands wouldn't be necessary. This one is, is more important in terms of how things work in society and work in your life. Focus first on this one, God says. Honor your father and mother and by the way, this isn't just for children and children it's o- o- honor and obey, but for adults as well. This is an important command and I can I can I can look at my own life and 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 agree with this order because as I look at my own life I can trace I can trace all of the sins of my youth to not. Honoring my father and mother. It's that simple. I didn't necessarily need to know anything else but this. Honor your father and mother. I can trace all the sins of my youth. Ultimately, to my failure to honor my father and mother. I can also trace all... All my shortcomings, not necessarily my sinful shortcomings, but just ways that I didn't do all I could do or be all I could be to the same. Not honoring my father and my mother. It it, in some ways is that simple. And that's why this commandment is fifth in the list of the ten. Children, I want you to get this. I want you to get it, and, and I want your mom and dad, to, your dad or mom, to take time to go over this with you because it's so, so important. And this isn't, this isn't me saying this because I'm a parent. This is me saying this because I care about you. I care about your lives. God cares about you. This isn't just about you and your dad or mom. This is about you and God. He cares about you. And I must admit that part of my motivation is that I, I really blew it in this area. I know you will too, but I really blew it. As I prepared this message, I was reminded of my 16th birthday, and I don't know if I've ever shared this story. 16th birthday is a big deal. And, and uh, I don't know, where was it? 1980. For my 16th birthday, my parents planned this gathering. My family's a wonderful family. We all spend lots of times together, love each other. So they planned this brunch, this all-you-can-eat brunch. And that's, boy, all-you-can-eat brunches are great. And they planned this all-you-can-eat brunch on a Sunday. My birthday was on a Sunday that year. At a local Marriott resort. And our whole family, our extended family, was to be there for my 16th birthday. And that was just typical of my parents and typical of my family. They were kind and they invested in my life. They cared and they counseled me. And what, I did, what did I return their care for? What did I do in response? Well, I went out the night before and I got drunk as I ever had gotten and I got arrested. And the night before my 16th birthday, I had to put my dad through the shame and disappointment of having to come and get me out of jail. They still went on with the brunch and my party. And I felt about the size of an amoeba at that brunch. And I wish I could tell you that that changed everything after that experience that I just said, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, I'll never do this, but it didn't. I went on. And that picture of, of, of gracious parents granting uh, a brunch to a son like me and me taking it and, and going out and not thinking about my parents, not... Not thinking about honoring them, but just thinking about myself and what I wanted and what my friends thought was cool. Typified my life as a team. And I could tell you more stories. You don't need to hear them. And I want something better for you by God's grace. I'm so glad for Christ's forgiveness. I know I'm forgiven for that. And I know my parents forgive me. I'm glad for that. But I must tell you, there are still nights I lay awake. And I think what I would do if I could do it over. And know what I think about? I think about two things. I think about honoring God. And I think about my dad and my mom. And what I could have done different to return their kindness to me. To return their investment in my life for good, to bless them and to please them. And I want, I want the best for you guys, children. And I have good news for you. You have something I didn't have at the time. You have Jesus. You have a Savior. You have one who's provided for your forgiveness because you're going to mess up. And maybe you'll mess up worse than I did you're forgiven in Christ and you can run to Him no matter how bad the thing you've done or are doing is. You can run to Him and there's forgiveness full and free and there's a fresh start. I didn't know that. And there's power for you in His life and in His Spirit in you if you're a believer and and if you're not, He's there for you right now. And you can turn from yourself and sin and say Jesus forgive me help me he's there to give you power to do the extraordinary and it is extraordinary to obey your parents it takes faith in God you must believe that he's bigger and stronger than than your parents and he'll take care of you as you obey you must believe that he's able to work out good and fulfill his promise because this commandment comes with a promise that that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land there's blessing that comes to you and through you as you obey. It's, it's a blessing. God wants to bless you through obedience to your parents. And so you should anticipate that blessing. And it's blessing for this life. It's that you may, it may go well with you and you may live long in this land, on this, in, on this planet. In this world, before Christ's return, He wants blessing. And there will be blessing that will come to you. And it's beyond that, though. That the illusion implied here is that it's also the ultimate land because this command was originally given to the Israelites for the promised land. And we learn in Scripture, the ultimate promised land is the future kingdom. And as you invest in obedience to your parents, you are building a blessing for that kingdom. Now, all those who trust in Christ will go there, and there will be great joy. But the level of your enjoyment and blessing will depend on whether or not you obey and how you obey now. It affects your reward. Now, it'll be a wonderful reward for all of us. But I want your enjoyment of that in the Lord and your fruitfulness in this life to be maximized. That's what's behind honoring and obeying dad and mom. And I could tell you story after story of people who have experienced blessing and good fruit through honoring and obeying their parents. Just one story, then we'll close. It's the story of John Patton. Does anyone know who John Patton is? Heard about John Patton. I've told the story a little bit of John Patton. He grew up in Scotland with, a godly, uh, with godly parents. At the age of 33, he decided to leave a thriving inner-city mission. He uh, church. He had been. I think he was the lead pastor of a church in Glasgow and was reaching inner-city youth, and it was thriving. Kids, uh, you know, by the busload. They didn't have buses then. Were coming to Christ. It was thriving. And and uh, but he heard the call to bring the gospel to lands that had not yet heard the gospel, and heard the call to go to the New Hebrides Islands, which are a group of islands off of Australia. And one man—I think we have these quotes and some of this. One man, Mr. Dixon, said, "But the cannibals! You'll be eaten by cannibals!" Basically, what? What are you doing? You're going to get eaten there. Why not stay here in the thriving ministry? And—and and this is what he had to say, Mr. Dixon: "You are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms." I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Such a man went on to serve in the New Hebrides and to go to the island of Vanuatu and to experience hardship. His first wife died, his first child died, and he labored. His life was threatened um, again and again, yet he persisted. And he brought the gospel, and, and through a life of labor, and he remarried and their influence, his wife's influence, they led the entire island of Vanuatu to the Lord. They went from cannibals, totally ignorant if you study the history, totally ignorant, dark cannibalism to Christians. And to this day, uh, 85% of that island identifies himself as Christian through his life. He not only did that, but he had a huge influence in missions. And, and you could trace, actually, John Patton's influence to uh, much of the work that went on in the 1800s, particularly through the Presbyterians. So there's connections. Think of Korea. Think of Presbyterian ministries, ministers, missionaries going to Korea, giving their lives, evangelizing Korea, and then Korea being transformed by the gospel today so now Korea is sending missionaries to the world through the influence of this man and I tell all that as background I apologize that we're going late but I believe it's worth hearing these things as background to the background of his life and his relationship with his parents what shaped this man was his parents and his response to his parents. So I want you to hear from him and how he regarded his parents, particularly his dad. Listen to this story. He's speaking about when he had to part with his dad to go to seminary. He had to leave home. And his dad and he were walking, I think, to go get the train. And he says this, My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand while his long flowing hair streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me. And his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God, prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could and went about to turn a corner in the road where we would lose sight of, he would lose sight of me. I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further. So I darted into the side of the road, then wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him, And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike, and looking out for me, he did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears, till his form faded from my gaze, and then hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft, by the help of God, to live And act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. That's John Patton's testimony of the effect of his parents and his desire to honor and obey them. It set him on a course in his life of great fruitfulness. Lives were changed for eternity. Cultures were changed for eternity, or not for eternity, for for a long time, through His influence. All stemming back to a man who said, I want to honor my father and my mother. Kids, I pray for you. Through the power of Christ, you will be able to fully honor and obey your father and mother in the power of Jesus because it is right, because of the command and the promise of God. And I pray that your lives will be more fruitful and God-glorifying than ours as your parents and John Patton as well. That is our prayer. It's not about getting you to do what we want you to do. It's about you and your life. In the Lord's, the band could come up as we close for today. Let me ask for children. That would be any child under age, not fully an adult, or not fully out of the house yet. How are you doing in this area? How are you doing in obeying Dad and Mom? Are you falling short? I imagine you are. I did. It's extraordinary, the call. It's not easy. But I want to ask you to do something as a result of this. I I want you to go to your dad and mom and say, Dad, Mom, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't obeyed in all the ways that God calls me to. Please help me. Please forgive me. Tell your mom and dad it's it's hard and you're weak. Share that with them. And ask them to pray for you. As you do that, I know God will be pleased and He will help you. He will help you grow in this area. He will help you honor your father and your mother and obey them and enjoy the good fruit of that. For those of us who are grown... The time for obeying is past, but not the time for honoring. And maybe you need to go back to your dad or mom and and say the same thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't, as a child, honor you like I should have. I'm sorry for not obeying you. Please forgive me. God would be glad to hear that. And I believe would bless and heal your relationship with your parent or parents as a result. Let us just take a moment before we close in song to prayerfully consider what God would have us do.